everybody and welcome to another episode of Magic with Zuby. My name is Zuby and if you're brand new to this show, the show is all about a little well-known card game called Magic the Gathering. So today is a very special episode. It is our annual year-end special. Uh, this is the episode where we go over some of my favorite card sets, uh, decks from 2019, some of the hopes I have for Magic going into 2020, and also look back at the hopes that I wrote about what I hope that magic happened or that happens in magic in 2019 and go over them a little bit and then we sort of round off the end of the cast of the best video games i played of this year and the best movies i saw of this year definitely saw way more movies than i played of video games this year so without further ado uh before we begin so magic Wazubi can be found on the following on itunes google play stitcher TuneIn radio and spotify you can reach out to me on twitter at, at magic Wazubi, on instagram at magic underscore with underscore Zuby, and you can email me with any questions you may have at mtgzuby at gmail.com this podcast is sponsored by legitmtg.com legitmtg is your place to buy magic singles and sealed product out there and any order over two dollars or more will get you free shipping at legitmtg.com so let's just start off right right off let's just start it off right here Mm. so i like to first start off with talking about the my top magic sets of 2019 and starting off at the bottom so 2019 was a pretty weird year in terms of the amount of sets that came out we not only had our regular fourth standard sets but we also had commander 2019 we had modern horizons we also had a lot of ancillary products as well too including the throne of eldraine brawl sets we also had throne of eldraine collector's edition so i am including those with this as well oh also there's the mystery boosters and the uh, secret layers as well too so these will be included or and if i don't even include them on the list means i didn't really care for them at all Anyway, so uh, without further ado, number seven on Zuby's top magic sets of 2019 is Corset 2020. Uh, probably the most disappointing of the standard sets to come out this year. I really, really enjoyed War of the Spark standard. Yeah, I'm a dirty control player, so I was playing Double Teferi. I was doing Esper control and Jeskai control and just being a dirty control player. And then, of course, at 2020 came out, that was when, oh my gosh, it felt like standard was running rampant with elementals everywhere. And, God, there's probably some other decks that I'm forgetting about running around everywhere because Field of the Dead wasn't around too much at the time. There was some scapeshift decks going around, but I don't remember seeing them too much at that time. There's probably, oh god, I know there's probably some more decks, and I'm, I just can't think of them right now off the top of my head. It just seems like Corset 2020 is when I started to not play Standard as much on Arena, and that's pretty much the only way I'm playing Arena anyway, or Standard right now anyways on Arena. Uh, coming in at number 6 was Commander 2019. While I feel it was a step up from Commander 2018, this one did still feel a little lackluster compared to Commander sets previously from 2017, 2016, and so on. Even the monocolored years of 2014, it this set, like I said, it was a step up. It was a good improvement. I hope that 2020 does see a lot better Commander sets. It really seems 2020 is going to be the year of EDH. So, 
It was good. The Jeskai deck definitely was a lot of fun. The Naya deck was probably my personal favorite. The Madness deck, the Rakdos one, definitely looked really strong just out of the box. And, um, God, what else was there? There's there's one more, and I'm forgetting it. The, oh, the Salt Eye one, the Salt Eye Morph one. That was, I'll say, interesting. I guess it was cool that Yogmoth actually got a card, and that one actually seeing him as a commander, finally. So, yeah, that comes in at number six. Uh, number five is actually Throne of Eldraine. While I feel the lore and flavor of Throne of Eldraine was amazing, I love the fairy tale aspect of it all. The execution of the set was not the greatest. The adventure mechanic, while interesting, just didn't really capture me, and food tokens really bores me. The especially that mono black standard deck right now the cat oven is just especially on arena can be god awful to play with the amount of triggers that it does throne of eldrin definitely felt like a step back in terms of a false set for standard because when you look at the last year's false set being guilds of ravnica guilds of ravnica was really really good and really strong out the gate Throne of Eldraine kind of felt like, eh. And I know you can make the argument where, you know, we did see two cards come out of Throne of Eldraine that were banned not too long, Oko and Once Upon a Time. It was, they were really rather short-lived. I mean, I know Oko is being banned everywhere, but I guess j just without looking at those two cards, because I understand those are really, really good cards and kind of broken, the set overall just felt kind of bland if i'm gonna be honest here it just felt kind of meh like didn't didn't really feel exciting but the flavor and lore is spot on though that was probably the best part of throne of eldraine coming in at number four is modern horizons modern horizons has pretty much changed the shape of modern as we know it it and i don't know if that is a good thing looking back on it Modern Horizons was sort of one of the reasons why I stopped playing Modern because just the fact that everything changed so rapidly afterwards, you know, with Hogak coming out and then Urza just dominating everywhere now. And it's just kind of it. Modern now almost feels like it's a non-rotating format that rotates whenever new sets come out because the cards that are being released now, some of the cards are just busted for modern. I mean, Oko's one of them, Once Upon a Time, Veil of Summer, you know, th those are the three that have been banned right now. And I look at the current modern decks, or not even current, because I took them apart and sold them, but the modern decks that I really enjoyed playing, you know, the Grixis Delver and Blue White Control. I mean, Grixis Delver has been fallen out of the meta a long time ago now, so I don't even really count that. But with Blue White Control, the deck has changed vastly from what I've noticed just looking at the meta and is no longer the super slow control deck that I remember playing, especially when Sto Stoneforge Mystic came out back out from being unbanned as well, too. So it. I feel like Modern's just sort of passed me by. A lot of constructed sets have sort of passed me by. But Modern Horizons did bring back Slivers, and I really enjoyed that because I've got a whole notebook 
of all the slivers. I collect every single one of them, and I still need to see if I have all the slivers for Modern Horizons or not. I'm pretty sure I do. There may just be a, an uncommon or two that I might be missing. So, coming in at number three was Ravnica Allegiance, uh, probably my least favorite Ravnica set out of the three when it comes to Guilds, Allegiance, and War of the Spark. Uh, I mean, that kind of tells you what number one or two are going to be. But Ravnica Allegiance was, out of the four standard sets, the second best one to come out of this year. And it was... It, it didn't have as many control cards that I wanted to see come out, of, come out of Azorius. I mean, there were definitely some good control cards that were printed from it. It was definitely... It did have some cool mechanics, though, with uh, Spectacle or coming out and an addendum. So that is at number three here. Uh, coming in at number two is War the Spark. War the Spark, while a extremely heavily Planeswalker set, it was my favorite standard set of the year. I was able to play two of my favorite standard decks of the year, uh, Esper Control and Grixis Control. Uh, even though Grixis Control wasn't really top tier at that time, it was definitely a heck of a lot of fun to play. And finally, coming in at number one is the Throne of Eldraine Brawl decks. I was lucky enough to be able to get the Throne of Eldraine Brawl decks at my local Target because even though I prefer to buy stuff from my local game store, they were selling them at almost 60 70 bucks a piece at the time when they first came out and i was just like no man sorry i could almost buy a booster box for that price and i found them at my local target for 20 bucks a piece and just bought them all bought all four of them there and paid 100 bucks for all four so yeah that i i did feel a little dirty buying them from my from target but you know i'm not gonna pay you know, absorbent prices for the Brawl decks. And the decks themselves, even out of the box, are pretty fun decks. When Magic Arena earlier in the year showcased the four Brawl decks and you could play play them, uh, the, my favorite deck was obviously Chulane. And the Alela, or Alila, the, the fairy one, was definitely a lot of fun to play. But surprisingly, Corvold seemed to be one of the strongest ones. And this is pretty much my favorite set that has come out this year from Throne of from the Throne of Eldraine Brawl decks. I hope we see some more of these coming out. You know, I do know they're coming out more commander decks next year, but I wouldn't mind some of these Brawl decks, some more of these Brawl decks. The thing that is definitely missing from the Brawl decks is they need to have a code, a redemption code in Magic Arena to be able to you know, or redeem them so you could just play them out of the box, just sort of like how they do the Planeswalker decks, you know, be able to redeem the code on Magic Arena and play it against other people. But, you know, wh who am I to say something like that? So, yeah, I did miss out on the Mystery Booster set and the Secret Layers and Gideon's Spellbook. I had no interest in any of them. To be honest, the secret layers, while cool, just seemed a little bit too much money for stuff that I'm just really not that interested in. And the mystery booster set was meh. It just, eh. I mean, maybe it would be cool if I was going to more Magic Fest or something like that. But I, I don't know. It just seemed to be a pretty expensive product for just 
extremely very little value from what I could see. Yeah, there are a few good, you know, really expensive cards there. And the test play cards, while cool, just didn't really strike me as interesting. So we're going to move on to our next category here, the top magic cards of 2019. I didn't really put these in any order or anything now that I'm looking at them, so I'm just going to go over them one by one here. Uh, starting off from the top is Narset Parter of Veils for one double blue. This has turned out to be an extremely strong Planeswalker. It's an uncommon Planeswalker, and probably the best part of this card is your opponent can't draw more than one card each turn, and plus you can pay, you can do negative two to the loyalty and dig through the top four cards of your library and reveal a non-creature, non-land card from among them. So this has become perfect in control-like decks, uh, pretty much just control anything blue. Uh, in EDH, uh, especially modern, it's seen a lot of play in modern. I don't know too much about Pioneer, I haven't really been paying attention to that format, and I don't know if I really will, to be honest, but that has been one of the better Planeswalker, probably the best Narset Planeswalker out right now. I think there's only two Narset Planeswalkers, if I remember correctly. Hold on, let me look that up real quick. Is there only two Narset Planeswalkers? Yeah, there are. So Narset Transcendent and then Narset Parter of Veils. Yeah, Parter of Veils, and I'd rather go with Parter of Veils than Narset Transcendent. And so next we have on my list of top magic cards is Fires of Dimension, three and a red enchantment from Throne of Eldraine. It is a pretty cool card. It's sort of like a, it's pretty much a red omniscience, but it requires uh, you to have the same amount of lands for you to play the spells. And you can only cast two spells on your turn and you cannot cast any spells when it's not your turn. So, oh wait, hold on. No, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. I'm I'm really good at uh, reading cards because it says you can cast spells only during your turn and you can cast no more than two spells each turn. So, once again, yes, you can only cast spells during your turn and no more than two spells each turn. This has turned out to become a pretty fun but sometimes degenerate standard deck with Jeskai Fires or even Niv-Mizzet Fires. I've also played variants of, you know, Planeswalker Fire decks. Uh, you know, Grixis fire decks. It, it's it's pretty interesting, can be fun, sometimes a little degenerate as well, too. The other cool thing about it is it could also see play in EDH. While it's going to really hamper you being not able to interact on anyone's turn, but when it does come to be your turn, you can just do some really degenerate things if you ramp up a lot of mana and just pretty much play two spells for free on your turn. So... Another one of my favorite cards of this year. Another one is my boy Nicobolus Dragon God. Probably my favorite Nicobolus Planeswalker card. So this gives you all loyalty abilities of all other Planeswalkers on the battlefield. Amazing. And plus you get to draw a card and each of your opponents exile a card from their hand or permanent they control. Amazing. And then, you know, it has the destroy target creature planeswalker. Amazing. And then the neg eight, each opponent who doesn't control legendary creature planeswalker loses the game. Double amazing. Grixis Control has easily become my one of my favorite decks to play of this year. I still like playing Grixis Control in Standard right now. It's nowhere near as good as it was, and it's not that great, but it's still a lot of fun being able to drop this, stopping people from being able to take care of Nicobolus, and then just neg eight and win. 
it's amazing. It's an amazing card. All right, next on the list is Hydroid Crisis. You know, you know, I've talked before in the podcast about how Crufix, my Crufix deck was Hydras, and this is just sort of a nice throwback to when I loved Hydras back in the day in EDH. And you know, Hydroid Crisis did see a home in my Crufix deck, just being able to pay a lot of mana into x and draw half the card so you pay 10 mana into x and you draw five cards amazing the gain life is just another you know plus to that too and the fact that it's only one x cost and not a double x cost that's also really really good too no wonder this card is still like 20 bucks Next up is another Throne of Eldraine card, Murderous Rider, for one double black. It has become our go-to creature planeswalker removal for black and standard right now. It's basically become our hero's downfall on a stick. But you do lose two life when you use it that way. But the cool thing about Murderous Rider is when it dies, it goes to the bottom of your library instead. So it allows you to tutor it back up if possible or being able to somehow see it back in the, your hand if you manage to shuffle your deck after it goes in your library. Next is Chandra Awakened Inferno from N20. Uh, one of my favorite Chandra Planeswalkers. It's also pretty degenerate if you can't stop it because not only can it wipe do a board wipe of three damage to each non-elemental creature, but it can also keep giving your opponents an emblem to where it just they don't kill you the emblem will eventually kill you or kill them and then the neg the neg x the quote-unquote ultimate where it deals x damage to target creature or planeswalker and it exiles the permanent if it if it died this way from damage it took from chandra so amazing planeswalker card all around one of my favorites it actually it's gone down on price a little bit the it's about 13 bucks right now according to the price i'm looking at well it's gone down Alright, next is probably my favorite counterspell this year and has quickly become a staple in all my EDH decks that house these two colors, and that's Dovin's Veto. Uh, it's an instant for white and a blue. It, it counters target non-creature spells, so it's a negate, but it has an upside of this counter can't be countered. So you counter something, oh, you can't counter the counter. That's awesome. Yes, please give it to me. All, all give me all the Dovin vetoes. Count, an uncounterable counter is always the best kind of counter that you can counter. All right. What's more to say? Uh, next on the list is Wilderness Reclamation for Therena Green. It's the enchantment from Ravnica Allegiance where you get to untap all your lands at the beginning of your end step. So this was a pretty degenerate card back in the Simic Nexus days of Standard before Nexus of Fate rotated out. And and that was not a fun deck to play against at all. Oh my gosh, I hate it. I think that was one of the reasons why I stopped playing Paper Standard when Ravnica Allegiance came out. Because everybody was doing the Nexus of Fate deck and I was just like, nope, I'm done. But um, anyways, so this has, even in EDH, this is a good card. Especially in Crufix or or even Omnath or, or any kind of green-based deck where your lands do matter. Um... Heck, almost in any kind of green deck, it, it's really good. And it still sees some play in standard right now, from what I'm seeing. There's um, some weird teamer deck that I've seen going around that utilizes this. And I wish I could remember more about it, but I don't right now. I know I'm really good at this podcasting stuff, aren't I? 
I, I prep really well for this. Anyway, so next on the list is as you can tell, I really like blue here, is Mass Manipulation from Ravnica Allegiance. It's a double X for blue. You can gain control of X target creatures and or planeswalkers. This has seen a wonderful home in my Nicol Bolas EDH deck. It's my Thief deck. And I also love casting this in something like Simic Ramp or Saltai Ramp. And just being able to steal all my opponent's uh, creatures or planeswalkers. It, it's always a fun time being able to get that off. Gosh, uh, now that I'm looking at my list, there's quite a few War of the Spark and Ravnica Allegiance cards now that I'm looking at it. Because uh, next on the list is Clear the Mind for two and a blue sorcery that's a common. And this has seen a big home in a, quite a few of my EDH decks. Uh, target player shuffles their library or sh shuffles their graveyard into their library. Draw a card. That has been quite a useful card that I found because something in something like my Niv Mizzet uh, spell slinger deck, uh, also my Grand Arbiter deck, I think it also has seen a home in my Baldrotha deck. Even though I may not want to have my graveyard back into my library, if I know that something may be going down where my my graveyard's going to go away, I'll just shuffle my my graveyard back in my library. Boom, there you go. So, yeah, really good card. It's I almost feel like I can't believe this is a common. It's it's crazy when you see the power level of commons through over the years too, and and what what makes a common. So next is another common. It's Arcane Signet. It's a two casting cost artifact that's a mana rock. It seeing play and it, it, it's almost as valuable as Soul Ring if you're doing a multicolored or even a monocolored uh, EDH deck and Brawl deck. Uh, add one mana of any color in your commander's color identity and the price has gone way down. It's less than five bucks now. Remember when Brawl decks were first coming out and this was easily 30 bucks now it's less than five and yeah i mean good i'm glad it is because there should be no reason why it should have ever been 30 bucks to begin with and yeah we won't get into that and then finally but last but not least is chulane teller of tales it's the two bant casting cost human druid uh, vigilance whenever you cast a creature spell draw a card then you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield then you can pay three to tap this return to a creature you control to its owner's hand i built a Chulane edh deck and it's stupid and i mean that in the best way possible that it's stupid when there have been quite a few games that i've played with this deck on paper and no one stops what i'm doing with Chulane and even though I have quite a few counter spells and I've played against other blue decks and all this, once Chulane is out and he's not stopped, and if there's not and someone else isn't playing some sort of infinite combo thing, there's a really good chance my deck will win. And granted, I will say I haven't played, you know, a hundred games with Chulane, right? I've played maybe anywhere between ten to twenty games with Chulane now. And he has a really high win percentage right now and a lot of it is just etb effects and even when i have someone trying to play an etb creature i'll just kill that creature off immediately and like i said i know Chulane has weaknesses here and i know my deck probably has a lot of weaknesses it, it it being it's not the fastest 
but once I get Tulane out and just start playing stuff and just draw my entire library, it's just sort of like, yeah, sorry, you're done. Um, really, re- probably my favorite card. If I did, if I had to choose like an all-time favorite card of just 2019, it'd be Tulane for sure. My favorite card of 2019. So there you have it for top magic cards of 2019. Uh, we are going to move on to my top standard decks of 2019. Uh, I forgot to change. It's not 2018 anymore. It's 2019. So I'll be honest here. I did play a lot of standard on Magic Arena. And I played... And the great thing about playing standard on Magic Arena compared to paper was I got to experience a lot more standard decks this year than I ever would have before if I had stuck with paper. And the fact that I was able to create a pretty much every top tier standard deck and even, you know, any janky ones that became popular says a lot that I you know, I played a lot and I there was only when I looked back at all the decks that I played this year there was only really three that really stuck out to me. Uh, the first one that I want to talk about is Grixis Control. I mentioned that earlier. Grix- Grixis Control was a lot of fun uh, before Throne of Eldraine came out because you had Nicobolus the Ravager, you know, God Eternal Kefnet, some, and you'd have Augur of Bolus. Sometimes I saw um, other ones that had, oh God, what's that? That, that six drop Sphinx dream eater i think it was i sometimes saw certain decks with dream eater in it but just it was a very fun deck with uh especially with search for Azcanta, just sort of really pushed over the top being able to dig through your deck god that card was so good last year um so yeah that that was one of my favorite standard decks of this year the next one being sultai mid-range uh back when ixalan was still uh, legal. I think the deck that I'm looking at right now, it looks like this was pre. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This was this Saltai mid range deck I played was during Ravnica Allegiance, back when Wild Growth Walker, Merfolk Branch Walker, Jade Light Ranger, you know, Hostage Taker, Hydroid Crisis, and all of them were really, really big and seeing a lot of playing. You could just gain a lot of life and build your Wild Growth Walker up really quickly. And the fact that Vivian Reed was so useful in that deck and Vraska Golgari Queen saw a lot of play with it and Vraska's Contempt as well, too. So this deck, if I remember correctly, this deck didn't really see a whole lot of play after War of the Spark came out, but was really big during uh, Guilds of Ravnica and Ravnica Allegiance. The Golgari version was a lot bigger during Guilds of Ravnica, if I remember correctly, but Ravnica Allegiance, there was still a lot of Golgari, but you could do the Salt Eye, the Hostage Taker, and Hydroid Crisis were what really pushed this over the top here. And then the last standard deck that I really, really enjoyed because I'm a dirty control player was Esper Control, and I played this a lot during, especially Ravnica Allegiance, I played a lot of it, and then I also played a lot of it during War of the Spark as well too. Being able to have three to four Teferi Hero of Dominaria and a couple Teferi Time Revelers and then Narset. And even I saw some versions playing Karn, Scion, Averza was just ridiculous and dumb. And 
the only creatures I even remember seeing. There was even some versions of this deck that I remember seeing that played no creatures. The only sort of win cons were Teferi here of Dominaria, Liliana, uh, Dreadhorde General, and even... T well, Teferi Time Reveler is not really a win con, but yeah, either Teferi or Liliana and... Oh my gosh, there was another one. I think it even sometimes played Mastermind's Insight to be able to pick something from your sideboard to win. But yeah, this was just a super fun, extremely grindy deck and just made your opponent feel like they're never going to be able to play Magic again. And I enjoyed it because I'm a dirty control player. Oh, and then I do remember some versions also played uh, Basilica Bellhaunt as well. The one that you gained life and made your opponent discard a card as well. So, yeah. It, you can still play Esper Control in Standard right now. It's not going to be as good and compared to some of the other decks. But, you know, I, I like to throw back every once in a while play some Esper Control. Though Blue-White Control does seem to be better right now in Standard com compared to Esper. But, I don't know. Still, still a lot of fun. Those are my three favorite standard decks of 2019. And it's, you know, I, I have enjoyed some of the Throne of Eldraine ones, like the Fires decks. I've enjoyed those. But when, when I really sat down and thought about it, those three decks are what really made 2019 standard for me. And since this is the year that I stopped playing Legacy and Modern, I don't even... I, I never do those really because for the longest time I played nothing but Modern Elves, Modern... Uh, Grix's Delver, and then last year was when I finally built Blue-White Control. Uh, and then before that, the only Legacy deck I ever had was... Uh, God, it was a Green Stompy and Legacy Elf. Sorry. So, that is the big magic portion, at least as far as sets and cards go, for the year-end special. Now we're going to dive into some of the hopes... I had for Magic for 2019 that were on last year's year-end special. And it was it's kind of interesting going back and looking at these and just seeing what has transpired. And then we're going to talk about the hopes I have for Magic in 2020 as well. So the number one hope I had for Magic in 2019 was a new eternal non-rotating format for Magic. And that is pretty much what happened. We had Pioneer was announced. And at the time, and at the time I made this, I was still playing a lot of the constructed formats. So I, I'm glad that Pioneer was announced, but I'm also... I was also kind of ticked off in a way because a lot of the EDH staples that I was looking at either buying or getting have shot up through the roof. I mean, I mean, it's great that a lot of my cards have gone up in value, but it's also kind of like, what the fuck? Because <laughs> I think I think I was planning on building some EDH decks and some of the cards I saw just went shot way up in value. And I'm like, yeah, I guess I'm not building that now. Um, but it, it is cool seeing that it, there's finally another non-rotating format. I'm still not crazy about the name of it, though. Uh, number two is some reprints that shake up the core of Standard. And it wasn't really reprints that shook up Standard this year. It was three cards by the name of Veil of Summer, Once Upon a Time, and Oko Loco. Oko Loco is Broco. And, I mean, the only noticeable reprints I can even recall of this year were the Ley Lines and M20 don't recall anything else that was super crazy. I mean, it was cool getting the ley lines reprinted, but 
it didn't really do too much for standard. Those three cards I just named were really shook up standard and not just standard, but modern and pioneer as well too. And then last, but certainly not least, was make all planeswalkers legal as commanders and commander. And it didn't happen. Now I know there's a whole lot of arguments to be had for this, you know, you know, you could say, oh, play Oathbreaker. Why don't you play Brawl? And granted, I get it. And there are Planeswalkers that are legal as commanders, but I'd love to see all Planeswalkers legal as commanders. And while I don't think it's going to happen anytime soon, I, hopefully it'll happen one year. So those were the three hopes that I had for Magic in 2019. The only thing that really did happen was the first one that a new Eternal non-rotating format was announced and the other two reprints and make Planeswalkers legals didn't happen. So moving on to my hopes for Magic in 2020, that is the first one being make Planeswalkers legal as commanders and commander. Um, I don't think it's too much to ask for, right? Right? So yeah, I, there's not much to say about that. Th that could be a whole episode in itself of arguing for Planeswalkers being legal as commanders. Uh, next is one that I've talked about a few times on the podcast, and probably a lot of people's sentiment is make a permanent brawl queue in Arena. Because right now, with brawl only being available on Wednesdays, I don't have time to play on Wednesdays, unfortunately. So, yeah, I just want brawl every day on Arena. Right now, arenabrawl.net is filling that niche of when I do want to play brawl, and especially historic brawl. We just need brawl queue every day. Let's just get on with it. Uh, number three being, I want commander in Arena eventually. Now, I know they've talked about they're going to eventually put Pioneer in Arena, and they're also talking about doing some multiplayer in Arena. I, thought, I think I've seen mention of that. I want commander in Arena one day because, I'll be honest, I don't like Magic Online. I know I can play commander on Magic Online anytime I want. I just don't like Magic Online. I'm sorry. Get over it. Uh... Number four, being slow down on the amount of products that are coming out. Let the sets breathe. Now, we have these standard four sets that come out every year, just like they have been for years and years now. And we have a lot of an ancillary sets as well, too. We're, we're This year, we're getting how many commander sets coming out. Um, we've got collector's editions coming out. We've got... You know, you know there's going to be supplemental sets coming out, like another Modern Horizons or a Conspiracy set coming out this summer. Then, of course, something else that's going to happen in the Christmas, you know, winter time as well, too. And I think the other thing that I sort of miss as well is... God, it's not that I necessarily miss, like, the big, small, smaller, big, small, big sets that they did, like Theros, Born of the Gods, and Journey into Nyx, or even Return to Ravnica, Dragon's Maze, and Guild Pack, stuff like that. It's, they, they all sort of flowed together. They all went along with each other, and the story felt a lot more fleshed out as well, too. You know, uh, this isn't going to be, you know, oh, I couldn't stand the the daily story every week and all that or the weekly story now this is just more of you felt like 
you stayed on that plane for a lot longer than just a few months and then oh we're jumping to another plane now and i mean hell you can make the argument that with theros we're not even getting a story so who even really cares you know um but anyways it's i just feel like we need to slow down on the products there's just a lot of products coming out and speaking of story the last hope i have for magic in 2020 is bring back the magic story as better novels now i know there's a whole bunch of complaints that a lot of people like the weekly magic stories better i disagree with that the only weekly magic stories that i even remember liking were amon ket uh shadows over innistrad and in Konzatark here wasn't bad and the uh the um ixalan as well too one of my biggest complaints with the magic weekly story though has always been when they have the different writers because what i would like to do was i would skip some weeks just so i'd have a few chapters to read and the tonal shift in each chapter just really takes you out of it and i've mentioned that before many times where you would have one writer whose writing prose is really good and then you have another one who writes like a teenager who's writing in their live journal and can barely write anything and it's really really off-putting it's always been off-putting and i've never enjoyed it and i feel the magic story needs to live on as novels and even though the novels even back in the day weren't the greatest piece pieces of literature they were a lot more enjoyable than what we've been getting now um especially the you know ravnica war the spark novel we got even though it wasn't the worst story that i've ever read it was just extremely forgettable is the best way to put it so i want 2020 to be the year that we get better stories better novels better books for magic i mean we're not even starting off 2020 off right because theros isn't even getting a novel so or even any kind of story not even getting it's i think it's getting a little blurb of what happens in theros and that's just to me i'd rather have the weekly stories that i don't like at least something you know so i i hope wizard sort of figures out what they want to do with the story i mean is it just going to be you know just the animated show on netflix or something Eh. i mean i know i'll watch it but whatever so that really ends the magic portion of the year-end special for magic wazubi the next part is i'm going to be talking about my favorite video games of 2019 and my favorite movies of 2019 definitely watched a lot more movies that i liked compared to video games so we're just going to get right on with the video games hopefully it shouldn't take me too long when i look at all the video games i played in 2019 because i only like to choose games that came out this year I actually spent either a lot of time playing games from 2018 or I played a lot of retro. God, I hate calling some of them retro because they're considered retro now. But I played a lot of retro games as well this year, too. Uh, A lot of older Final Fantasy games. I I remember I replayed through Final Fantasy VII again. Um, I know I got stuck on WoW for a good while again, too, during the summer. Final Fantasy IX, I got halfway through it. Um, God, then I even picked up Final Fantasy XII again and played that. And I played a crap ton of Secret of Mana earlier this year, too. And I think I even restarted 
in Super Mario Odyssey and Zelda Breath of the Wild again for like the third or fourth time in both of those games. So when I look at the actual new games I played and enjoyed in 2019, the list is not very long. Oh, and there was Red Dead Redemption 2 as well that I finally finished this year after putting it off and off after last year. So number one on the list is Super Mario Maker 2. I was a huge fan of the first one, Super Mario Maker. Had a hell of a time playing it. And the second one is better in all aspects, but I didn't really get hooked on it as much as I did the first one. Is I think the novelty was a little worn off. The The Super Mario Maker 2 single player version or the little story it had was amazing. I loved all the levels of it. The the user-made levels in Super Mario Maker 2 are far above and beyond way better than what one had. A lot of the mechanics of it are way better. I haven't even really tried that new patch that came out where you could really build Zelda levels and all that and some of the other new doohickeys or whatever they're called. Some of the new like platforming and all that. I haven't really tried those, but it's it's cool. I, I, I did play I did build some cool levels that some of the some of my friends could never be in, you know, I would laugh at them because I can be sort of a sadist when it comes to making Mario levels, and then they would try to make something hard for me and I would just laugh at them and in, in Mario laugh. So really re- really enjoyed that. Number two was a game that is a remake and I don't know if this is cheating or not but this is considered my favorite Zelda game of all time and that's The Legend of Zelda Link's Awakening when I saw that they were remaking this game and with the cute as hell graphics that they made it for the Nintendo Switch this was a day one purchase for me I bought it day one and I beat it within a day and a half and by that I didn't even... I only really sat down to play it three times. And the thing is, I've played through this game probably 40, 50 times. And I liked that it was an almost one-to-one remake. And what I mean by that is yeah, the game itself is a one-to-one remake. Everything is almost exactly the same except for the secret shells. All right, There's a lot more secret shells to get and find. That was really cool. That was fun. The dungeon-making mode of Link's Awakening and it was okay. I could have done without it. I only did it. I only did it a few times, and then I got bored of it. So yeah, that that was um, enjoyed the hell out of that game. Loved it, e- even though I only played it for about less, probably only about ten hours, because I beat the story so quickly. Because I, I I knew all the dungeons right away. I didn't even have to think about them. So mm, there you go. Uh, next on the list is you know call me a friggin fanboy and it's true but my wife and i love playing this game every year we get every new edition when it comes out and that's call of duty modern warfare love the hell out of this game i still enjoy picking it up and playing it once in a while i mean i know it's only been out like two months maybe almost three months now something i don't i don't know has it been two months now or something but you know it's sort of our thing that we do like for about a straight month month and a half we will play this almost every night and you know yell at each other have fun with each other you know laugh cry get angry rage quit and just pwn noobs together and it's such a fun feeling and modern warfare i have enjoyed this game way more than i did black ops 4 last year loved the hell out of modern warfare such a fun game and last 
but certainly not least on my list is a game I only got a couple days ago as of this recording, and that's Sekiro Shadows Die Twice. And I'm not usually a fan of these Dark Souls type games where it's extremely hard for the sake of being hard, but something about this game just keeps pulling me back even though I've rage quit so many times. Uh, the aesthetic of the game, it being a samurai ninja type game, I love you know those kind of games. I love, you know, the samurai culture and history, and I've seen, you know, so many of Akira Kurosawa's movies based on samurais, and it's something about this game just keeps coming, I keep going back, even though I really, really suck at the game, it's kind of fun learning how to play it and get better at it, and then getting past a hurdle, and then getting stuck again, and getting past that hurdle, it's fun. It's extremely frustrating, though. I, I will admit that. it's I fucking hate this game, but it's a lot of fun at the same time. So those are my best video games that I played of this year. And I'm really looking forward to 2020 with the all the games that are coming out next year. You know, we've got Last of Us Part 2. we got Final Fantasy 7 again. Oh, my gosh. I can't wait for that remake. we got Doom. We've got... God, I know there's more. But those are, like, the big three that I can think of right now. Um... If I looked up a list, I'm sure I'd know. So, uh, getting on, I, I know this is turning out to be a little bit of a longer episode here uh, with my solo episode. So, let's wrap this up with my best movies of 2019. And this is in no particular order here. These I saw a lot of movies this year in the theaters, but these were the movies that really stuck with me that I really enjoyed. Uh, the first one being Avengers Endgame. I mean, I have always really enjoyed the MCU. I, I, I'm not a huge comic book person. If I were to choose my favorite comic book superhero, it'd be Batman because I grew up as a kid watching, you know, the Batman cartoon and the Tim Burton Batman and the old Adam West Batman as well too. And love everything about Batman. So I was never a huge fan of Marvel except when it came to Spider-Man and X-Men. So this whole MCU, it would, Avengers Endgame was a perfect ending to that whole series. Yeah, I know it's going to keep going and all that stuff, but just for what we've been seeing since the very first Iron Man to now Endgame, it was a really good wrap-up, and I can't say, I can't imagine them ever trying to top something like this, and it being, it was such an event to go see, too. It's I've seen, you know, a lot of Star Wars movies, you know, in theaters, and I know that out of all the movies I can remember seeing and being super excited about, I've never felt that kind of energy from a crowd such as Avengers Infinity War and especially Endgame as well because I had never been... And my theater is never... It can My theater can get pretty crowded in my town, but I've never seen a line out the door to see a movie like I did with Avengers Endgame. I don't even recall that for Infinity War. There, there wasn't even a line for that. But there was a line for Endgame, and that was that was just amazing. It, it was fun. It was a fun experience. Next movie that I really enjoyed this year was Joker. I, I mean, I know a lot of people have complaints with this movie, but the best thing that I liked about this movie was how it showed the just how I guess mental health, right? I, I guess that's the big thing with there's people that just really need help out there and just sort of shows the system failing someone and it could have possibly been curbed had they have gotten the help that they needed right 
and and if they didn't live in such a shit city but i mean the story the whole movie captivated me from beginning to end i couldn't look away from it probably the only part of the movie that really took me out was when joker was dancing on the stairs and the music they played that music they played just completely took me out of the movie i I wish it was a different song in the background they were playing but i don't know i that, that was pretty much my biggest complaint i enjoyed the hell out of the movie though i don't want them to make another one i feel like it should just that should be it we don't we don't need to see what joker does from here because we have so much other media and stories of what joker does after he becomes the joker and i get that the mystery behind who the joker is is supposed to be the biggest thing about him like we don't really know how the joker came to be you know there are certain stories but you know i I like this origin story of joker it was really enjoyable uh the next movie that i really enjoyed of 2019 is marriage story with adam driver and scarlett johansson um being married myself it was i was a little hesitant on watching this because you know this is all about divorce and the movie you know i even went through a divorce when i was a kid i mean my parents went through a divorce not me um <laughs> and so that that this movie definitely brought up a lot of memories of back when my parents were fighting and all that and then also just the acting in this movie i couldn't look away from this movie for, from one second everybody in this movie just acted so well and adam driver and scarlett johansson holy shit can they act it was just an amazing movie all around it's definitely a hard watch though um because it'll make you feel a lot of things uh, next on the list is probably my favorite movie of 2019 is The Irishman. Uh, the Irishman by Martin Scorsese with Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, and Joe Pesci. It's, I'm a sucker for anything mob or mafia related. I pretty much have seen seen it all. all right? And, you know, think of every mob movie, mob TV show I've seen. it. I love it. I, I love all of that stuff. And The Irishman is probably one of the first times that I watched a movie i was sucked into it from beginning to end and i immediately went and bought the book like the next day and i haven't finished the book yet uh because i suck at reading i've been lazy lately but the book has just gotten me so enthralled in the story of jimmy hoffa and this the story of frank sharon or shireen or sharan or however you say his last name is and just learning the history of this has just been so amazing to me. This this like lost piece of history that you know you don't really ever get told about. Um, extremely great movie. Yeah, some of the effects of the de aging effects sort of do take you out of it for a little bit, but you, you just ignore that part. The acting is just top notch all around. Just a wonderful movie. Uh, next movie is Star Wars: Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, it's you know people have their complaints with the movie. It's I enjoyed it for what it was after the lackluster Last Jedi. You know, what was JJ really gonna do? the The best parts of Last Jedi were Rey, Kylo, and Luke. Everything else was just crap. Let's just put it out there; it was all crap. Um, and yeah, I, I don't know. I mean, this this movie, it was enjoyable. I enjoyed it. I, I really liked all the... It did feel very fast-paced, and I'm kind of glad for that because, you know, I, I don't know if I would have been able to take a slow Star Wars movie after what we had with Last Jedi. Um, but 
I will say what was very noticeable was that Disney really didn't have a plan for Star Wars. And I know so many of other people have said that, but it's really noticeable here. Uh, I don't want to get too deep into that here. So next on my list is Glass. Uh, Glass came out early January of 2019, or was it February? And it was the sort of third and final act of the Unbreakable and um, Split uh, trilogy, the M. Night Shyamalan trilogy of his superhero movies. While Glass, I think, didn't really do well from the critics and even in the box office, I enjoyed it for what it was. Yeah, it was a very slow-paced movie, and and the the ending fight scene, I really thought they were going to go to, what was it, the town square or something like that and fight. And instead, they just fight in the parking lot. It sort of fits with it, though. You know, these are people who think they're superheroes. They do have something, you know, strange about them, but no one ever really sees it. And the footage is wiped at the end as well, too. R- lovely movie. Love it. Uh, Next on my list, yeah, I've got three more to go here, and then we'll wrap it up here, folks, all right? Uh, Next on my list is John Wick 3. I I was very hesitant about watching John Wick for a long time uh, when it first came out, and then I don't think I even saw it until John Wick 2 came out. Saw John Wick 1, holy crap, what an amazing, awesome action movie from, like, start to finish. Then John Wick 2 came out. I was thinking, okay, this probably isn't going to be as good. Holy crap, what an amazing, awesome action movie. John Wick 3, I'm like, okay, there's no way this one can be that great, right? Granted, I think it's the weakest one out of the three. It was still a really awesome action movie from start to finish. I couldn't stop looking away from it. Uh, Keanu Reeves is just an amazing actor. You know, granted, he has the emotional range of, you know, emotional ranges and that great i guess i don't can't think of the word of it but the action he can do and just the work effort and ethic he has is just amazing when you watch his movies (sighs) all right so my last two here uh number eight is dolomite is my name with eddie murphy so i remember seeing this teased on netflix and you know i never really knew anything about, you know, Dolomite or uh, Petey Wheatstraw or anything like that. Thanks to Red Letter Media, I did learn more about uh, Dolomite and um, all that. Oh, shoot. What's his name? It's it's not Dolomite, but um, oh my gosh. It's uh, Rudy Ray Moore. Ah, I couldn't think of the name. But yeah, I, I, thanks to Red Letter Media, I did learn more about Rudy Ray Moore and some of the other movies he's done and just some more of his stand-up and all that. So this was a nice movie sort of showcasing how Rudy Ray Moore became Dolomite and became really popular and sort of a cult sensation. Uh, this is only really about his uh, Dolomite is my name movie. It doesn't really get into the other movies that he's done, like Petey Wheatstraw or anything like that. But it was for Eddie Murphy feeling like he's been out of the game for a while. This was a fantastic return. And I've loved Eddie Murphy forever. Like there's there was a time where his movies were just really crappy but you know this felt on par with like trading places or um coming to america or anything like that um dolomite is my name is definitely worth a watch so funny and wesley snipes is in this movie too holy crap great as well too um so last on my list is probably the most controversial one and i've already gotten a whole bunch of crap over it on twitter and that is the movie cats now before you get like oh god how could you even like that movie um 
I the Cats musical has been something special to me growing up. Um, you know, I grew up listening to the music, you know, watching the play, and then saw the movie on TV that came out. Uh, what back in 1998 or 1999, the PBS stage play. Essentially, I watched that. I don't know how many times. I've listened to the soundtrack so many times. I've basically grown up with the music of Cats. And when I saw that they were finally coming out with a movie earlier this year, my wife and I were extremely excited. Uh, We did a double feature of Cats and Star Wars Rise of Skywalker. We saw Cats first, obviously. And I could not stop smiling throughout the entire movie. It was... Granted, yeah, I know, a lot of the effects are weird and... You know, yeah, you saw you see Judy Dench's ring in the in the movie, and you see her human hands. Yeah, I get that. I understand all the the weirdness and you know the bad effects and all that. But the singing and dancing is what really made it for me. Um, the there were just some parts of that movie where the singing and especially the dancing just had me with a huge smile on my face, and I loved it. I love this movie. I know I'm definitely going to be... I don't usually buy movies anymore or anything, uh, thanks to streaming and all that, but this will be a movie I will be buying when it comes out. And, you know, I'm sad that it's bombing and will bomb, and I can't really say that probably releasing this the same day as Star Wars coming out probably didn't do it any favors as well either. It probably needed another month or two for before it released, but, you know, I love it. And no one's going to change my mind on it as well. So there you have it. That has been sort of my year-end special here as well. And um, hope you all enjoyed the episode. And here is to another year of Magic Wazubi. And who knows what we have in store for next year. So here is to you. And hopefully you all have a good Happy New Year's. And have a great night, everybody. All right?